Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Lake Homa. If this is your first time here, we are glad that you are here. I have two requests this morning. Two requests. The first one is this. We have a school that we actually have adopted. It's Centennial School. I think we've got three teachers, at least, that are from this congregation who actually work there. That is a school that we have adopted. Last year, in the spring, they came to us and said, is it possible, is it even possible for you guys to help us out with just some sporting equipment, some like balls and soccer balls and things like that? I said, well, we'll see. And so that was then, this is now. They are still in need of some soccer balls and stuff, and here's what I want us to do. I don't want you to go out and purchase anything. I want at the end that you find an elder or a minister, and you just give them some money so we can give that to our teachers so they know exactly what to get the kids instead of us going out and getting it for us, and then they come back and they go, it's nice, but we can't use this. Got it? So if you've got some money in your pocket, I've got 20 that I'm going to give over there. It's, it, so if you would, just give some money so that we can give those to our teachers who will get the balls and things that they need to them. Okay? Everybody good? Right? Okay. All right. Good. All right. Second, I was asked why I was wearing a mask today. This is personal. Uh, Deborah has breast cancer and will have surgery on the 16th of August. It's the best that we could hope for in that. And I don't want to get sick, and she doesn't want to get sick before we have that surgery. And so just want you to know that that's why I'm doing that. There are a lot of other people in this congregation who are sick as well. And so in your prayers, if you'll include Deborah and I, but if you will include the other ones, all the others that are sick, all the others that are going through illness and cancer treatments. I saw Dee Whitley here last Sunday, and I was amazed that she was here last Sunday. And I know she's going through the same thing, breast cancer, and I know there's a lot of other people who are suffering, like Kent Reed, who I saw yesterday, and uh, he needs our prayers very, very much. So thank you for that, and before we get into our lesson on the Holy Spirit, which we're going to start today, we're calling it the gift. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, we come before you today, and we thank you for blessing us. I thank you for the generosity of this congregation. As we've talked about two giving opportunities this morning, we've talked about one that just involves playground equipment for children at school, which they don't have right now. And what they do have is old and it's used. And so, Lord, I just pray that we will be generous in that. I also pray that when it comes to the fifth Sunday of this month, that we will give liberally and generously so that we can have vans for our transportation for this church, for this congregation, for ministry to happen. And besides just our youth ministry, children's ministry, all types of ministries that can use these. And Lord, we would ask that you help us be generous in that. And Lord, I pray for those who are sick today. I pray for my wife, Deborah. I also pray for Kent Reed. 
I pray for Dee Whitley, and I pray for so many. It is so good to see Wanda Blue here today. I thank you that she is here, that Warren brought her today to church. She, we haven't seen her in a long time, and it's a blessing to see her. So many others, Lord, that we could bring to you and pour out our hearts and spend the rest of this time in prayer. But Lord, we have a topic that we want to cover today. It's the topic of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you will be with us and guide us in our study of that. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you actually enjoy a good mystery? Anybody here? Okay, most of you enjoy a new mystery. There are many mysteries in this world, things unknown, things for which we don't understand, things for which even the most educated, the most wise, the most knowledgeable people do not fully grasp. And here's the thing, we could spend most of our time today listing the unsolved mysteries of this world and discussing the hypothesis around each one of those. And some of you would enjoy that very much, I know you. But it would not move us closer to the answers we seek. The mysteries of this life are often vast and beyond answers. They are unexplained, unknown, since that's why they're called mysteries. And on many unsolved mysteries lists, the Holy Spirit probably ranks at the top of that list. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we are often in the dark. Over the years, our tradition has avoided this topic. We have chosen not to delve into the secrecy, the hidden clues, which are not secret at all. They're right there in plain sight. The Holy Spirit was avoided. Did the Holy Spirit live inside of us, or did the Holy Spirit operate outside of us, and only when we read the Word? So as a continual student of God's Word, I have spent significant time examining this subject. And it's one of those topics for, for which I'm not an expert, I'm just a learned student. But like many of you, like many of you, I want to know more about the Spirit, for which we've avoided. So, my goal is for us to go on a quest, to go on a discovery of the hidden clues, the unexplained, the unknown regarding the Spirit. Now, depending on how deep we want to go in this study, this series could last the rest of the year. And I don't think any of you want that. So, for most of our lessons, we will concentrate on Jesus' introduction of the Spirit to his disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion. But before we get there, before we get there, I want to give us an overview of the Spirit. I want to look at it from the Old Testament, and then next week from the New Testament, and then we'll go from there and get into that study in John verse, chapters 13 through 18 verse 1. Many years ago, I read a book by Tim Woodruff, who's a friend of mine. It's called A Spirit for the Rest of Us, which put me on the path of discovery. And it's a book I would highly recommend for anybody to read. And know this, I'll be using that as a resource in these lessons. So, let me ask you, where do you begin? 
when we're st- talking about the Spirit, where do we begin? Well, you say, James, we'll b- begin at the beginning. Well, no, we're not going to begin at the beginning. We're going to begin before the beginning. Before the beginning. Before the beginning of the foundation of the world. In fact, the Spirit of God was there. The Spirit is an integral part of the before time began theology. And there is a before time began theology all throughout the Bible if you're looking for it. Before creation, before God spoke the words, let there be light, the Spirit was already there. And he shows up in verse 2 of Genesis 1. Look at this passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before, before the foundation of the world, the Spirit of God existed. Before the foundation of the world, the Spirit appears here hovering over the waters. You know there's only one other time? In the scriptures, only one other time where the word hovering is actually used in scripture in the Old Testament. One scripture, and it describes God in this manner. It's from Isaiah chapter 31. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Brothers and sisters, God is present in this world. And like this verse, the Spirit is hovering over His children to protect them and deliver them. He is not up there while we are down here. And and surely we don't believe this. Surely we don't believe that God is millions and millions of miles away and sometimes, sometimes He comes down and checks in on His creation. This is kind of how I was taught as a kid, though. That's what I believe, that God is up there. We're down here. God is up there looking down on the children of men, which there's passages that talk like that. We We are subjects on the earth, so he's looking down on us. But when Jesus ascended in the clouds following his resurrection, I don't think he went very far. I really don't. I don't think he went very far. His home is much closer than we think. Jesus, God, the Spirit, the oneness of God took up residence. He made his home in his children, in us. He did not leave us, his children, alone in this world. Romans 8 verse 9 says this, However, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All right, I'm going to make a statement here, and then I'm going to actually try to make it as clear as mud. Someone used that statement this morning. All right. What came upon those in the Old Testament now dwells within us under the new covenant. Let me say that again. What came upon those in the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God, now dwells in, within us 
under the new covenant. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, it dwells in us. So let me explain. And again, if you have questions, just like Mike said, if you have questions, come to me and we can discuss. We are living, my statement here, we are living in eternity right now. We're living in eternity right now. There's no distance between us and the realm of God. Let me say it again. There is no distance between us and the realm of God. There's not this thin line or this barrier that separates us. There is no space which leaves us feeling as orphans. Our Heavenly Father is present in our lives. Jesus Christ is present in our lives. He abides in us, lives in us, and has taken up residence in each and every one of us. Now let me show you some things regarding the Old Testament. And how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament, okay? I'm sure this is nothing new to you, but just for the sake of review, let me hit on a couple of points to clarify the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. As we build walls on the foundation of Jesus Christ, which he spoke about regarding the Spirit that we'll get to in later weeks. First, the Holy Spirit is ever-present in the Old Testament. He's ever-present. He is present in creation, as we've already seen that. He was present with Noah. He's present in David's life. He's present with the prophets. He's present with many, 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 many other people in the Old Testament. And the Spirit had a profound influence on Moses' ministry. All right, so do you remember when Moses is trying to judge all the people of Israel by himself? And he's helping to navigate all the laws and new laws and new rules given to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. He's out there day and night judging all the people, and his father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and tells him, you can't judge all the people by yourself. It will wear you you out. So Moses takes his father-in-law's advice, realizing his need for help in those duties and the work of administering justice to the people. So he selects men to aid him in his work. Now, and we see this. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads of all over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So let me ask you, how did God empower those individuals? All right, we're privileged, we're privileged to actually observe the selection process in Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers 11, we see how that whole process went. And this is what it said in verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. God speaking there. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it by yourself or yourself alone. As we observe in this story and many others, people are conduits for the Spirit's power and for God's word in the Old Testament. Moses had the Spirit of God upon him. He spoke the very words of God. All right, here's another illustration. Elisha, 
a student of Elijah, what he asked for before Elijah went up to heaven. He asked for what? He asked for a double portion of the Spirit to be placed upon him. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, how the people are conduit of the Holy Spirit. Even people who we deemed as maybe evil, like Balaam, who did God's work as he wanted him to. All right, so back to the 70 elders. Back to the 70 elders. Look at the results of the process of what happened. So I'm going to give you the rest of the story. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, Moses, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. I find this verse a little peculiar. It's odd to me. The reason it's odd because the 70 elders only prophesied once. When the Spirit of God came upon them, they actually prophesied as a sign to all of Israel who were there around that tabernacle watching this whole thing take place because God had come down and it's shown that all of them are there. And he, so it tells all the people that these men have been sent by God for the work of judging the people. The Spirit rested on these men, on these men. Throughout the Old Covenant, this, the Spirit comes upon people, but does not dwell in these individuals. Did you hear me? Did you get me on that? The Spirit does not dwell in these individuals. Let me share a couple of other stories to reinforce my point, okay? Do you remember King Saul? King Saul and the Spirit coming upon him right after he was anointed by Samuel to be the new prince of Israel, the new king. He, Samuel says this to him, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with him and be turned into another man. So Saul meets these, these prophets on the way to Gibeah, and the Spirit comes upon him, and he prophesies with them. But it doesn't take long it doesn't take long for the Spirit to be taken away from King Saul. Why? Because of the disobedience. Because he disobeyed God's command. What is placed upon an individual can also be taken from that individual in the Old Testament. Look at what happens. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And King Saul is not the only one who feared the spirit being taken from him. In Psalm 51, if you read Psalm 51, it's a list of David actually confessing his sins. And then he gets to verse 11, and what does he say? He says this, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Brothers and sisters, there is a huge difference in the way the Spirit worked before Jesus in the Old Covenant and the one who receives the Spirit of Jesus after ascension, it's a huge difference in the way the Spirit works. And if you think, and if you think those 70 elders whom Moses appointed, who had the Spirit of God upon them, held faithful to God's command and listened to the voice of God, yeah, you'd be wrong. They didn't either. They too failed. They too sinned. 
they too rejected to God. Look at this verse. But truly as I live, this is God speaking, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. The same men for whom the Spirit of God was given, these 70 men are the same men who joined in the throng of people who agreed with the 10 spies who said, we can't take the land of Canaan. We can't do it. The people are giants and the cities are fortified. These are the same men who would not be making the trip into the land flowing with milk and honey. These men who had the Spirit of God upon them are now rejecting God. They're rejecting him. Okay, a couple more, just a couple more examples. The spirit of working in the Old Testament. I would hope that most of us know the story of Gideon, right? The story of Gideon. Hopefully you got that in, in your classes. It's uh, in Judges 6, verse 8. Three chapters dedicated to this man who defeats Midian, who judges Israel for 40 years. It's a fast-paced story, and I just love the story of Gideon because he is us. He's us. He was afraid of the Midianites. He was a nobody. He was the least in his tribe and in his family. And God wants to use this man, and use him he does. He does. Look at Judges 6, 34. Look at how God places his spirit upon Gideon. Look at how he does this. Look at this verse. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. God placed his spirit on Gideon like a robe. The spirit of God was upon Gideon. And even the spirit upon him, Gideon still had doubts. He had doubts and tested the Lord with the fleece and the dew. He was still afraid even though he experienced the power of God's spirit on his life. Now let me remind you of my premise again. The spirit came upon people in the Old Testament but did not dwell in these individuals. Samson just a few chapters beyond this story, had the Spirit of God rush upon him, but he too lost the Spirit, right? His source of power, it left him when he refused to obey the voice of God when he allowed his hair to be cut. And brothers and sisters, we haven't even touched on the prophets, and we could spend a whole time just doing that. I hope you get the picture of the Spirit's working in the Old Testament. People... People experienced the Spirit of God, and yet they remained unchanged. They didn't change. All right, the 70 elders did not change. Even though the Spirit of God came upon them, King Saul did not change. Even though the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied, Samson lost his power of the Spirit because he disobeyed God. Do we get the picture? And then you say, but James, 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 James. I don't feel the presence of God. I don't feel the spirit of God in my life. I don't sense him. 
I'm not aware of his presence. So how's the spirit different under the new covenant? Good question. Let's try and answer that. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Our union with Jesus Christ, our immersion into his blood, our birth as a child of God comes as a gift. It's a gift. We receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. Brothers and sisters, this is an incredible verse. It's an incredible verse. It's an incredible statement. And remember, Peter is not only stating what he, he was, he's only stating what he was told in the upper room by, by Jesus, which we'll delve into in a couple of weeks. But let me, let me throw one of the passages out. John 14, verses 15 through 18. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, who will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus speaking. The presence of God takes up residence in Jesus' people. It is a gift. The Spirit of God will be in His children and not just upon them as you see in the Old Testament. Let me reinforce this idea from the words of Paul. Paul says this, For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. Jesus is the water of life. We drink of Him freely. No longer is the Spirit a covering. No longer is the Spirit a covering. That which flows in us is water. The Spirit, the living water. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirst, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart flows rivers of living water. Brothers and sisters, we drink the living water. Who is a spirit, and it is inside of us. He takes up residence in each and every one of us, you and me. Why? Because you and I are the, the temple. We are the temple. Each of you are the temple of God, and he takes up residence in each and every one of us. Why? Because the Spirit is given to all his children who are immersed in his name as a gift, a precious gift. Now, a gift is given what is a gift? A gift is given to another person. And if it's a gift, I don't earn that gift. 
We haven't put forth any effort to receive such a blessing. This gift is ours to keep, to be enjoyed, to be used, without any strings attached. That's what a gift is. And listen to me. The giver does not expect it back. The giver does not expect it back. The gift is something we will carry with us the rest of our lives. God does not want it back. He wants us to use his gift that he gives us for his purpose. And brothers and sisters, this gift is to be used and not put on a shelf. We don't put it on a shelf. It is available, it's accessible, and it's there for us to be used. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, will be with you forever. But James, wait, 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 James, James, wait, time out. Time out. I'm a sinner. I'm in sin right now. Surely the Spirit is not in me. Surely it has been taken away from me. No, no, no. Listen, 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 listen. Can we grieve the Holy Spirit which is in us? Yes. Absolutely we can grieve the Holy Spirit that is in us. That's what Ephesians 4.30 says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Every single one of us have grieved the Holy Spirit at one time or another. Maybe many times we have done so. I have. I have. Anybody with me on that? Anybody out there ever grieved the Holy Spirit? I would assume all of us have. Every single one of us have. But brothers and sisters, this gift is not taken away from us when we sin. It's not like a covering that we could take on and put off. The gift is there to convict our hearts and our minds, to prod us in our consciousness, to nudge us toward righteousness. John 16, verse 8, Jesus' word says this, And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was placed upon people. And we look at Moses and the Spirit of God that was on Moses, as we've already discussed. And we remember all those 70 elders that didn't weren't, they didn't live up to that, but that Spirit was placed upon them. It was placed upon them. So let me ask you something. How many of us treat the Holy Spirit, this gift that we have been given, much like they did in the Old Testament? We put it on, and we decide to take it off at our own convenience. In other words, that which is there for our use is often not used as it should be used. The gift of the Spirit for which Jesus gives his followers is completely different. It is existing within us. It knows us. It knows our hearts. It knows our minds. It knows everything that we do. 
We are washed in the continual cleansing blood of the Lamb, and because of that we receive this gift of the Spirit. Listen to Titus. Listen to Paul from Titus. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, get these words, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The gift of the Spirit is there to regenerate, to renew our hearts, to make us different than we are right now. It's there to prick our souls, to prick our consciousness. And many of us, we can treat this as any gift we get from somebody else. We can look at those gifts that somebody gives us and we go, this is the most amazing gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, man, I'm going to cherish this gift. Or we can go, oh, that's nice. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's a good gift. I, I, I tell you what, I'm only going to use it every now and then. Or we can go, thank you. I'm going to put you in the closet and I'll only bring it out when you come over. Right? And many of us do that with the Spirit, don't we? Same thing. But know this about the Spirit of God. Know this, brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God is always working in our lives. Always. He's there convicting our heart, touching our consciousness, prodding the depths of our soul. And for those of us who are there and who have been in sin, we know what this feels like. We know what this feels like. The ache which occurs deep within the guilt, we try to ignore the shame that we feel. This is the Spirit of God working in us and through us. And if you're there right now, if you're feeling that, Ask God for help. Ask for the prayers from our elders, from a trusted friend, from one of the ministers. Ask God to renew that spirit within you. Ask God for forgiveness, mercy, and grace to restore within you the spirit of power, protection, and promise. He will do so, and the spirit will help you on your journey of faithfulness to renew your mind and your heart and your soul. I'm going to leave you today with a new tagline for our new series. It's a very simple tagline. And here it is. Dwell in Him as He dwells in you. Dwell in Him as He dwells in you. May God bless each of you this week to walk in the Spirit and not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's stand and sing.